a very graphic, graphic piece of, of scripture there. I don't know if any of you have ever really experienced that power of the sea. I know the first, I got a canoe for my 40th birthday, like a, a, a surf kayak thing. And uh, remember the first week I had it, went down to Bude or up to Bude because we were in Plymouth. And um, I remember one day, big waves in February. And uh, I can just remember one day where a wave completely wiped me out. The boat went to shore and I was out of my depth and I could just feel the riptide pulling at my legs, pulling at my legs, trying to get to the surface. Thankfully, I had a a life jacket on. But that moment of just feeling completely at the mercy of the currents of the sea was truly terrifying. And I kind of just see that in what's written in this prayer that Jonah writes. I wonder if you recognise the phrase, in too deep. I guess it's a phrase that we use when we're describing a situation that's bigger than we can handle. Perhaps like me, just being a little bit out of control on my boat when I was still very inexperienced. I thought too of of, um, a fellow called Nick Leeson, Back in 1995, Nick Leeson was a banker. kind of thought that was topical with all that's going on with the banks at the moment. But Nick Leeson was a banker out in Singapore. Very successful, very bright man. Was entrusted with an awful lot to invest in and do whatever stockbrokers do. I don't really understand it. I don't know that they really understand. That's really unkind. I don't know that I understand what was going on. But basically, he was making risky deals to try and make money for his bank. And he was beginning to take bigger and bigger and bigger risks because the bank was not in a great place. And and he figured, well, I can take risks to get them out. And then something he didn't bank on was the Kobe earthquake, which sent the whole kind of uh, Middle East stock market into, into free fall. And the risky deals that he had done suddenly compromised the bank beyond what he could believe. And so he thought, well, I'm just going to have to take even more risks because if they come off, we're all right. But they didn't. He was in too deep. He lost money for the company, £827 million he lost for the company, caused the bank to go under. He left a note on his desk saying, I'm sorry, and disappeared for eight months until he was arrested. He was in too deep. Jonah literally finds himself in too deep. This chapter is is, is amazing because it punctuates an, an otherwise a narrative. It's a story. Chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 4 tells the story of Jonah. But here, chapter 2 is kind of shaped like a psalm. It works as poetry. And it creates an incredible picture. 
with the words that it uses. And it evokes Jonah's descent into the deep. Actually, right back in chapter 1, verse 5, you've got Jonah was below deck. He lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. But here, in his distress, he fell to the depths of the grave in the deep. Waves swept over him. The engulfing waters, the deep surrounded him. There's just pile upon pile of deep, deep, deep trouble in the language that's used. But in the midst of that, we see in this prayer, Jonah's descent and his turning to God and God's merciful rescue and raising up of Jonah. How many of us find prayer difficult? Come on, be honest. How many of us find prayer difficult? I find prayer difficult. You guys find prayer difficult. Here's a prayer that I'd love us to learn some stuff from and maybe there'll just be some things here that will help us to look again at our prayer life, to invigorate our prayer life. Because Jonah prays a prayer here that is full of stuff for us to learn. I think there are three things that we can see going on in this prayer that are actually key to our lives of prayer. There's an awakening. There's a sense of believing. And there's a repenting goes on in this prayer. Three things that I'd love us just to look at for a few minutes. An awakening, a believing, and a repenting. And I trust that these things will help us in our own walk with God and our prayer lives. First of all, our awakening. I've kind of already alluded to it, but in chapter 1, verse 5, second half of verse 5, we can see that Jonah had sunk into a spiritual as well as a real stupor. As he sought to run away, he goes below deck where he lies down and he falls into a deep sleep. We see there the intimacy of Jonah's relationship with God has gone. A lethargy has crept up on him and all of a sudden he's conducting his relationship with God on his terms and conditions, not on God's. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Uh Uh-uh, I'm off to Tarshish. Don't like the sound of that, God. I'm going. His terms and conditions had taken over Not God's terms and conditions. And we saw from the first week that that actually Jonah was a man of God. He was a man called by God and used by God. And here he has found himself in the depths of lethargy. Going down the tubes. And this can creep up on each one of us. Wherever we are 
on our walk towards God. Don't take much for us to begin to get a bit casual. And before you know it, be doing our own thing and justifying it. But as I've already said here, that there's a language of downward spiral for Jonah. Now the awakening begins, literally, when somebody comes and shakes him, get up, you so-and-so. And the awakening continues as he realises, okay, I've got to do something on the problem. All right, fellas, throw me overboard, please. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine that? Nuts. But he recognises he needs to do something. The awakening has begun. But he can't yet return to God. There's still not a relationship with God restored as he recognises that he's got to do something. That comes in chapter 2. It only comes as he recounts the sinking. I don't know what picture you have of this story in your head, but I think I have from childhood a picture of a kind of a cuddly little whale that kind of appears on the surface of the water, scoops up Jonah as soon as he gets wet almost, straight in the whale, and he's saved. Yay! That's not what happens. He sinks to the bottom of the sea. Speaks of of going to the very depths of the grave, to Sheol, a place that was was associated in Hebrew culture with, with the land of the dead. Did Jonah even die? Dunno. But he certainly didn't just get scooped up by the whale. He sunk and sunk and sunk. That must have been a terrifying experience. How would he respond? Well, I guess there are loads of ways that we can respond to life and its challenges. And there are lots of them thrown at us day by day. Some people will say, well, yeah, life's just a random series of events, you know? You get some good luck, you get some bad luck. Them's the breaks. Hey-ho, I hope I get lucky. That's one way of looking at it. Other people might see life as as being very much controlled by other people. I'm not in control of my life. I have no power or influence or, or anything over my life. I am at everybody else's beck and call. Of course, the difficulty with that is that you can end up feeling like you're a victim all the time. You can end up thinking, why me? Nobody cares about me. Of course, another way, and this is very much a way that's pushed by our culture, number one's in charge. When I do it good, I'm a hero. When I do it bad, I'm a zero. But I'm in charge. I am competent. I am educated. Or I am strong. I got some nous. I can do it. 
There's another way, of course. But God at the centre, even in the midst of difficulty, we can trust God. And I think that, that, that Jonah had gone for the number one culture thing. I'm in control now. I'm going to do this. Not anybody else and certainly not God. But he has an awakening moment as he experiences the spiral into the depth of the sea. See, Jonah could have said, why me? For goodness sake, why me? He could have shaken a metaphorical fist because it's kind of hard to shake a fist when you're drowning. But he could have shaken a fist at the sailors and said, those tykes, I didn't mean it. What have they done to me? But look at verse 3, please. You hurled me into the deep, Lord, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. He's beginning to see that God is at the centre. Right through verses 2 to 6, as he recalls his descent into the water, he awakens to God's hand. He didn't have to. But he recognises God. Reason I read verse 17 of chapter 1 all the way through to verse 10 of chapter 2. Have you noticed what this little section starts and ends with? Verse 17, but the Lord provided. Verse 1 of chapter 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Verse 2, in my distress I called to the Lord. A big fat bookend of the Lord at the beginning of that section. Go to the end. What I have vowed, verse 9, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish. Both ends of this prayer as a wholehearted dependence on the Lord God. And actually by the end of this prayer, that's where Jonah ends up, awakening to the Lord God. So he could have gone down all sorts of paths, but he chose to awaken to the sovereignty and supremacy and control of God. Love this quote from Oswald Chambers, who says that we need to pray with our eyes on God, not on our difficulties. We need to pray with our eyes on God, not on our difficulties. Jonah awakens to that in this prayer. Second point I'd like to, to look at is, is moving from awakening to believing. But I just wanted to show a very short video clip. 
Because I wonder, have you ever been in fear of your life? Some of you may well have been. But I just wanted to show a video clip. And on this short video clip, it's a kind of a war thing, there are two men. And I think we should show a video every week because it's always sunny when I show a video. (laughs) So I hope you'll be able to see there are two men whose faces are just written with, I don't know where to go. I am so fearful. Very short, 45 seconds or so video clip. Thanks, Steve. Say again? It was working earlier, wasn't it? Hey, never mind. I'll explain. (laughs) Basically, it's a story um, of um, 101st Airborne Division in the Second World down into the Netherlands, and they get ambushed. And at two points, there are two young men whose faces are just a picture of fear. As they're ambushed, as bombs are flying, as bullets are flying, as everything's going on, they're just like, am I ever going to get out of this? Am I ever going to survive this? Beautifully acted, somewhat gory in places, but very striking. But I just wanted us to to think about that. Because here Jonah was certainly in fear of his life. And he awakened to God's sovereignty. And as I said, he chose, he had a choice to believe or not to believe in God's saving power. And so, we need to to put on to, to awakening to God, an active believing in God. Now I wondered, I wonder if you ever feel that you've messed up so bad. You kind of know you've got to do the right thing, but actually coming back to God, that feels just a bit too far. You can maybe stop whatever it is you're doing, or you can, you can do so much, but to come back to God, that just feels too big. I would have thought, as Jonah was going down, he must have been pretty sure that his life was finished. But just take a look at verse 4 with me. As he goes down, he says, I have been banished from your sight. Echoes of the Garden of Eden there, isn't there? Banished from your sight. Yet, I will look again towards your holy temple. I will look again towards your holy temple. There was an Old Testament tradition, see it in Numbers 21, where using that word to look towards God was was a statement of faith. In Numbers 21, you have the story of, of, of the, uh, the Israelites being afflicted by snakes, poisonous snakes that were getting all of them. They were, they were everywhere. And the people were saying, what's going on? 
And God says to Moses, make a bronze snake. Poor old Moses. I mean, he must have thought, what? But he did what God said. And then he said, those who look to the bronze snake will be healed. Those who look towards what I have done will be healed. And so this idea of looking towards God's holy temple, there's that sense of belief, of faith in a God who saves, in a God who heals. And Jonah chooses to believe. Comes again in verse 7, he looks to God. And in verse 7, he sees his prayer rise to God's holy temple. He believes that even at the darkest moment, he can look and he can believe and he can know the holy God. The reason I wanted to use that war film clip was just to introduce this idea of battle. Because there's a battle raging within us. A battle that says, our flesh, we've blown it. We've messed up. We've gone too far this time. But in faith, we can come to the living God as we allow our awakening sense of God's sovereignty, we can come in faith and ask forgiveness, ask for relationship to be restored. I wonder, today, do you have confidence in the gospel? Do you realise the extent of our helplessness before God? And the vastness of his mercy on us and for others. That's a battle that we need to fight constantly between flesh and faith. But it's a battle that we fight for our lives. We may not literally have to fight for our lives, but we need to fight daily for our faith lives. Our relationship with God lies because if we just allow ourselves to be lulled into a false sense of security, we end up hardening and walking away. And so Jonah awakens and he makes statements of belief in the living God. But there's another very, very important thing that comes here. Alongside awakening and believing, there's also repenting. Now, I don't know about you, but you often think about, I often think about repentance as a kind of a, a bit of a self-flagellation thing. Oh, I've done it again. Oh, so annoyed. I got cut up in Taunton the other day, and I stood on my horn, and I was really cross. And Angela said, was that really necessary? No, dear. <laughs> and I just, I knew for that moment, I just had lost the plot. I just, ugh. But very quickly, I just, don't, done it again. 
And we can associate kind of repenting with, with feeling bad about ourselves. But actually, yes, that's important. We need humility to confess our sin. To say, yes, I messed up. I need to confess. And that can be hard. Because it's hard to say, I'm sorry. Hard to say, I'm sorry to, to somebody we know, let alone to God. But actually, at the heart of repentance, it's not about wearing a hair shirt and putting ashes on your hair and, and being miserable. Actually, the heart of repentance is change. The heart of repentance is change. It's about turning away from my way back to God's way. It's a change in what you think, it's a change in what you desire it's a change in what you do a change in what you say it's a change in how you say because in all of those things we want God to flavour those things and not ourselves and let's not forget Let's not forget that when we repent, there's a party in heaven. Think about the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Jesus illustrates that when we turn to him, there's a yes! Goes on in heaven. Repentance is joyful. It's good. It's hard, but it's good. And we see it in verse 8. And verse 9 of this prayer. I think Jonah identifies himself with verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I think it is speaking about the people of Nineveh. I think it is speaking about anybody who doesn't follow God, but I think you can identify yourself, uh, himself in that. Because the very next thing, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I will turn away from the idol of self-interest and I will turn to you What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And of course that change is borne out in action. Verse 3, chapter 3. Jonah obeyed. So in this prayer, there is an awakening to God. There is a believing in God and there is a repenting. And I just wonder as we maybe turn to prayer this week whether we need to start by uh, asking God to awaken in us a renewed sense of his presence, a renewed sense of his majesty, a renewed sense of his kingship. 
over our lives. I wonder if we turn to prayer this week, we need to just return to our belief in the gospel. That Jesus just didn't die for me, but he died for my family and my neighbours and my friends and my colleagues and everybody that I meet. So help me to bring them to you, Lord. Help me to be flavoured by the fact that you died for me, Lord. And I guess it's the same coin, different size, repentance and faith go hand in hand. Actually, you can't have faith without repentance. You can't believe in Jesus as the living God, saviour, without turning to repentance. And likewise, you can't repent if you're not turning to Jesus and asking him to help you to change. See, repentance isn't a once-only thing. Of course, the first time we turn to Jesus is very significant. It's a bit like the first beat of a baby's heartbeat. Hugo's first heartbeat was very significant. (laughs) Hey, your first heartbeat? Yeah. But that's not it. This boy's heart needs to beat for the rest of his life for that first heartbeat to mean anything. And we need to continue to repent for the rest of our lives as we seek to walk in step with God. Martin Luther said that we are called to a life of repentance. This is a pretty passionate prayer that Jonah prays. It's a prayer that's about relationship with God. In Jonah's case, it was a lost relationship. Maybe for us it's broken and just needs to be restarted. Or perhaps it's a relationship that has never really been established and we need to come to that first heartbeat of repentance. But I would urge you to think on those three dynamics of prayer, of awakening to the wonder of God, believing in the work of God in Jesus Christ and repenting and grasping hold of the grace that is available.